Ladies and gentlemen, it's a, a pleasure to be here again this evening. This is Lee Tomlinson, host of the Compassion Heals podcast. And I just want to start this by saying we're going to have the pleasure tonight of spending a few minutes with Ben Farber, the chief nursing officer at Eisenhower Health in my neighborhood in Palm Springs, California. Ben, it's a pleasure to have you here tonight. Thank you for having me, Lee. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I just also want to thank you. Um, what most people won't know is this morning I had the pleasure and honor of speaking to several hundred of your nurses. Now, I know that you manage when it's a little over a thousand nurses uh, here at uh, Eisenhower. We calculated just under 1,500. Like today. I said, a much bigger workforce than that. And I had the pleasure of speaking to a bunch of them here in the auditorium um, and a, a number of them virtually as well. And in a very rare occurrence, I actually get to do it twice in one day because we're doing another one this evening. So we did one at 7.30 this morning and now 12 hours later, we're gonna do another one just after this interview. So- Welcome to 12 hour shifts. <laughs> well, now I know what you feel like and I have to say, uh, I don't know how you do it every single day because it's exhausting, but it's a pleasure to have you here. And, um, you know, I really want to start with um, being chief nursing officer and in charge of 1,500 men and women whose job it is is to be both maximally competent and compassionate at the same time particularly over the last two, two and a half years since COVID has stricken us. What were your greatest challenges during the last two and a half years? You know, so I'm gonna start with this. I, anytime I introduce myself, I tell people I have the privilege of serving as the chief nursing officer for the organization. Mm. I, I truly feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world. Hmm. And it's because I get to support a really amazing group of people in providing care to patients who really need it. Um, you know, I'll give you my first answer, which is the answer that you would hear from any CNO or director across America, and that's staffing. Staffing has been an incredible challenge throughout the pandemic. Uh, first, starting with trying to figure out how to deal with an influx of patients. We really didn't know anything about the disease that was yeah. coming in, yep. shutting down surgery. That challenge was a little bit different because we had nurses. We had nurses in surgery and nurses in ambulatory centers who were able to work. They just might not be working in a place that they were comfortable. So they were yeah. doing maybe helping hands, extra hands care. Yes. Uh, then we reopened surgery and we saw waves two, three, and four. And the challenge became very different, was, which was just not having enough people to care for the number of people who needed our care. So that's challenge one. The second challenge is that from an accountability standpoint, nurses are amongst the most accountable groups of people that I've ever met in my life. And what I mean by that yeah. is that they will work until they can't work anymore yeah. if they're caring for somebody. Yeah. And what that leads to is overwork, people working so many shifts that they aren't really getting the sleep they need yeah. and they become tired as anybody would. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> you couple that with what appears to be an increase in violence yeah. against caregivers. And yes. um, you hear from people that their jobs have become much harder. Yeah, so. Wow, and that's, uh, that's every day and even worse, obviously, during COVID because of the uncertainty. Was it gonna last a month, a year, two years? I mean, 
we still don't know, and it's still not over, and there are still deaths every single day due to COVID. I actually don't understand. I never have, although I must say, given my medical history of so many um, adrenaline-induced hospitalizations, I never could actually understand how people could willingly go into a business, shall we say, of healthcare, of medicine, and every day go into a place where people are hurt, suffering, grieving, loss, and do it day after day after day and not numb themselves, not become addicted, not do any of that, but somehow make their health important enough to where they can stay healthy enough to be able to be both competent and compassionate. And it sounds like you're saying that's been a real problem during COVID because there's so much to do and not enough people to do it. Is that, is that a fair assumption? I think it is a fair assumption. Um, I think there's been a lot of work done over the past decade for nursing, and I'm sure that uh, our physician friends and colleagues would say the same of their organizations in terms of trying to find ways to help people with self-compassion mm -hmm. um, for groups of people that tend to put others first. That ability to find that time, right? And we talk about taking time for yourself, not being selfish, and that's something you said this morning and something I've heard before. I agree, it is not selfish to take time for yourself, but when you're working every waking hour with a disease you don't understand, yeah. it becomes hard to find the time to take for yourself. So even if it's not selfish, you've been giving those hours to work to make sure that people who need your care are getting it. You know, the hard part about that is you're absolutely right. And, you know, if compassion is the willingness to deeply feel the pain of another accompanied by an equally intense desire to relieve that pain, that never goes away in healthcare. Everybody who shows up is at some level of pain some worse some not so bad but everybody's there if they weren't they would stay at home so the challenge is is that when the and i mean this in a very complimentary way is most people like yourself are never satisfied until every single piece of pain on the face of the planet is relieved and that's not possible and it's even worse now so my question to you is, is what does Eisenhower do, particularly in a crisis situation like this? What do they do to support the doctors, the nurses, the phlebotomists, the food services people, everybody across the continuum of care here at Eisenhower? What do you do to help your people stay healthy? So um, I've been here just under a year. Uh, and one of the things that I was amazed by when I first started here and I consistently continue to be amazed by, and I think one of the most helpful things that we've done is bring in um, services of a, a therapist who also is a nurse by background. She's a PhD RN, and we've offered those services to anybody who needs them on our, our caregiver team. So wow. that's outside of the normal EAP programs EAP, you mean? Employee Assistance Program. That's outside of that program. This is one specific person who's doing sessions. It started for nursing, and we've had a lot of nurses take advantage, and then we started seeing physicians ask for the information. <laughs> so bet. we're also seeing physicians take advantage of that. Most recently, she's put together a COVID long-haul group. I'm going to give her a quick shout-out by name, Dr. Diane Vines, because she's done really, Do. really amazing work here. Um, that's 
that would be the number one thing that I would say is that we've given people the space and ability to focus on their own mental well-being in a non-judgmental way. Wow. Um, wow. I also have never seen, and this sounds really basic to people, but it's a big deal in a hospital. I've never seen food go to units so readily. So if people are short-staffed, and I've had several occurrences where I've said, you know, we're really short today. I'm concerned about people getting their lunches. The answer has always been send food up to the unit so that they're eating every single time without fail. Wow. Um, we've started being able to do some events again. So we just had a large employee picnic uh, nice. just a few weeks ago to allow people to gather in a COVID safe way with their work colleagues outside of the stressful environment of work. Great. Um, I, I can't say enough, though, about the help that Dr. Vines has provided. The other thing that Eisenhower has going for it is just an overall culture that was in place well before the pandemic. And when you talk to people that are here, they've many times been here for a very long time. They yes. can't imagine working anywhere else. I was rounding on night shift two weeks ago during nurses week and talked to several travelers that have been eight, 10, 12 years traveling. So they were traveling pre-pandemic. Whoa. And they talked about the culture at Eisenhower and how wonderful it is. So Eisenhower walked, walked into this pandemic with um, better prepared than some uh, organizations would have been just based off that fact alone. Well, I mean, compassion works both ways. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that any business that want, or any, any, anything that wants to be compassionate has to be compassionate not only to their customers, but in order for their customers to get that, you have to be to your people. So if you want your patients to feel seen, heard, appreciated, compassion, you have to do the exact same thing for your employees. And I noticed something today. And mind you, I've been in one way or another involved with Eisenhower for 20 or 30 years. My mother was treated here. My father was treated here. Um, I barely missed being treated here uh, for an accident. But what I noticed was is that there were these sort of golf cart kind of things going, go just driving all over the place. And I'm thinking, what the heck have you got golf carts here for? I mean, is it maintenance? Is it? And I realized that what they are is people who have to park a long ways away from wherever it is they work, which mm -hmm. given the size of this campus, which is enormous, and given the heat, the very fact that you supply them with transportation to just get them around so that it's not so hot and uncomfortable after a 12 hour shift to sh walk all the way around and around and around, that alone shows compassion. And as they're sitting there relaxing, there's, since they feel like, gee, you know, Eisenhower gets, this is a tough job. And they're supplying me with a ride to save me a walk to the car. This That's is, a demonstration of exactly what you just said. This is a massive campus for people who don't know right. Eisenhower at all. It's much larger than I think people would imagine it is. And those golf cart shuttles are one of my favorite. <laughs> they bring a smile to my face every time I see Me them. Me too. Me yeah. too. Because the people who are in it, whether they're coming to work or out, they're like, happy days are, you know, because they're not having to walk in 100 degree temperatures, which is yeah. kind of normal here in, in, in Palm Springs. So let me ask you a question. How the heck did you get into healthcare? Is that something you grew up wanting to do? I mean, why healthcare? You could have chosen a thousand different things. 
I grew up in a healthcare family. What does that mean? Uh, my father was a physician. My uncles were both physicians. My aunt was a nurse. Whoa! My grandfather was a physician. Uh, and on my mom's side, there were lots of teachers. Yeah, and, same thing. And some lawyers. I knew that there was no way I was going to be a teacher or a <laughs> successful one. And in all honesty, I initially thought I would go to medical school. I did a degree before I went to nursing school. Yeah. And I got most of the way through and went, I really, I don't want to go to medical school. I, I had seen a family member hospitalized and saw what the nurses did and decided that that's where I was going to go. So I immediately went from that degree program into a nursing program. You saw one of your family members um, cared for by a nurse as opposed to a doctor. What was the difference? You know, I, I don't think when you see nursing on TV, people really truly understand what nurses do. Tell right? me. When you see a show like ER, nurses are handing off pills. Yeah. Nurses are delivering warm blankets. Yes. Um, when you see a show like Scrubs, it's all about physicians and it's comedic, right? But when you actually see nurses in action and the care that they deliver and the compassion they provide, and their ability to work through difficult situations and keep calm under pressure. Mm. Mm. And mm. honestly, mm. the amount of science that nurses know, that's not something that can ever be captured nor is ever captured in television. So when I saw that actually in, in action, you know, I'd had lots of conversations with family members about potentially going to nursing school instead of medical school ahead of time. Um, it, it, my, my younger brother is also a nurse. Uh, so there was, were certainly conversations in our family about the advantages of going to nursing school over medical school, um, and as well as the advantages of medical school over nursing school. But I never really understood what a nurse did until I saw somebody hospitalized. And at that moment, I knew that that was the better route for me. Interesting. What do you think is the single most important quality of a superb nurse? What do they do best? Tough question, I understand. It's a really tough question, and I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell somebody when they ask me that question in an interview. <laughs> this is an interview. No, I'm yeah, kidding. So if, no, I were I interviewing, if I were interviewing... Oh, in an interview, not an interview with us. You mean an interview with a if perspective. If I were interviewing somebody and they asked me that question, let's say I was interviewing a new graduate. Yeah. I would tell them that I can teach most of the hard skills. I can't teach the soft skills. That ability to demonstrate kindness and compassion uh, and listening is remarkably important. And there are places that nurses can work where it may be a little bit less important, but if you can't find compassion for people and kindness for people, it's gonna be really difficult. And it's not just gonna be difficult for your patients, it is a very, very difficult job for somebody who doesn't have some sort of intrinsic reason to do it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Do you think that um, nurses are so dedicated to their jobs that they don't much take care of themselves, even in non-COVID situations? I read a statistic recently, and I understand it's COVID, where it said 97% of nurses are experiencing the symptoms of burnout. Now, 97% is pretty much everybody. I mean, I'd like to actually meet one that isn't. But having said that, it's like everybody is infected with that. Do you see nurses coming together to support each other more and help each other more out of their compassion as much as they would for their patients 
for their colleagues. So before I answer that, I'm going to say, uh, aside from the soft skills, the single most important thing, mm -hmm. nurses are scientists. And I want to get that out there, too. Nurses are scientists, and if they don't understand the science of caring and the science of the body, it's going to be a difficult job as well. But you have to have that mix. Um, as far as the question you just asked me, um, nurses are really great at caring for each other. They're really great at caring for people. They're really great at caring for each other. We could look at five decades worth of research though as far as nursing self-care goes mm. and you're going to see the same thing over and over and over again nurses do a great job of caring for others and don't necessarily prioritize their own self-care yeah. the american nurses association has a phenomenal program healthy nurse healthy nation yes that was developed several years ago to try to encourage better self-care mm -hmm. um, the other interesting thing if we're talking about statistics and studies is that We've pretty consistently throughout history of nursing seen the majority of nurses who are gonna leave the bedside leave in the first five years. Um, so they either make it or they don't pass that five year mark. Uh. What has changed most recently, and this was a study that was just released last month. Huh. Under 35 is one of our biggest loss groups during the pandemic from the bedside. And nursing tends to be a lifetime job. So if we're losing people between 30 and 35, we have a 30-year gap where wow. we have no nurses available, wow. which means we've got a 30-year wow. shortage. Wow. So that's the big thing wow. that's changed during the pandemic. What do we do about that? Oh, we're trying everything, Lee. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's catastrophic, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, under that, you know, as aging and all of that, all of a sudden you're going to get to that point where it's going to catch up. Right. And that shortage is going to be ridiculously critical. It's a t Again, I don't get it. We have uh, to re-examine. It's so hard. We have to re-examine how... We need to re-examine what hospitals look like for everybody who works inside their walls. What's that and mean? I, I think that in a lot of spaces, and this is really hard for us to imagine as Californians, where there are a lot more protections and... Um, nursing care in California is different than it is in a lot of the country because we have state mandated ratios here. We have a set number of patients that any nurse can be responsible for. Oh, and that's rare? That California is one of 50. What? Yeah, one fiftieth of the states in America have ratio laws on the books. So when you look at that, listen, I think there's hard and fast with ratios that maybe doesn't make the most sense. There's some other states that have great staffing laws. Oregon has a phenomenal um, program in place to ensure that they're appropriately staffed. There's a few other states. And <coughs> I worked before the latest iteration of ratios, and I have a lot that I can say about, about the ratios, but what I can say during the pandemic is that ratios served, saved nursing in California. How so? Um, the, the hospital organizations in the state worked really hard to ensure that we were continuing to meet those state guidelines. Really? In other parts of the country, there was a lot more flexibility with what staff could take care of. And while that seems great on the surface, if you've got people who are trying to work over and over and over again to make sure patients have the care they need and they're taking care of 50% or 75% more patients than they normally care for, it becomes untenable. That's why 97% of nurses are burnt out. I and mean, we, we have seen an increase in violence. That's, that's known. We've seen an increase in violence toward caregivers. 
That's a known, that's a fact in the literature right now. It's We've crazy. seen an increase in burnout, which is really related to the amount people are working as well as what they're seeing, what they're dealing with, yes. but also the volume of what they're yes. taking care of. Yes. And um, I think we're gonna have to re-examine that in the future if we wanna continue with the healthcare system we have in place, which I would say we do. I think America has great, America has really great healthcare if you're hospitalized right now. And um, I think that we certainly want to continue having the care that we have today, if not a better model of care. So is it fair to say that if we're lucky enough to live in California, it is likely that we will have, we will be treated by nurses that are less likely to be burned out and incapable of being competent and compassionate because of those ratios. I have no statistics to tell me that. Um, and I wouldn't say it's 100% related to the ratios, but I would tell you that nurses in California have a limit for the number of patients that they can take on a given assignment, and we don't see that in other parts of the country. But wouldn't you agree so, that the less you know, the less overage, the more likely that those nurses are able to maintain their own health Correct. and be their most compassionate uh, and competent selves if they're not exhausted, burned out, and overworked. Correct. And we are the only state that has that? We are. Other there. than somewhat similar in Oregon? Well, there are some, some other staffing law models where they've um, given wow. equal voice to, to wow. administration and nursing at the table to determine what they need, but there's nobody who has hard and fast. Wow. So. Well, lucky us. Uh, those of you that are listening in from somewhere other than California, Get out here fast. We have great jobs. Yes, and we need you desperately. If you're a nurse or a doctor or whatever, come to Palm Springs. It's the best place to spend winter on the face of the planet. Summer is a little warm. I'm just learning it's just that. just a little warm, Lee. Just a little warm, but... Everybody can get through a few months of summer. Everything's got a price to pay, right? Yeah. Well, listen, let's wrap this up. Uh, ben, again, um, well, you got to tell me one other thing. So between when you went to nursing school and ended up at Eisenhower. Where were you? I've been all over the place. I've heard that about you, but why and I, where? I uh, started my life in an onco unit. In a what? In an oncology unit. In a, oh, so yeah. That As was a, my first nursing job. Really, where? Where in was Bakersfield. That? Bakersfield, yeah, oh, yeah, no, well. Yeah. Mm. Oncology and ortho, and then um, I worked tele for a while, and I started on my leadership career. Um, I worked as a charge, I worked as a house supervisor, I worked as a nurse manager, I worked as a director. Wow, um, you were the boss. I've worked in uh, three states now. So I've worked in, I worked as a CNO in Oregon for nearly five years. Oh wow. And then spent the last couple of years in Cleveland, Ohio. Both of those really great experiences. Really? Um, and loved both of the places that I worked and have a lot of really great things that I can say about every place I've worked, but I am, very happy to be back home in California. Well, it's good to have you back. Uh, I can tell you that uh, nurses that I know personally, and I've had the privilege of speaking to about leadership, think the world of you, well, have you. huge respect for you. And not only for your knowledge and your skills and your experience, but for the simple fact that they feel like you really do get who they are 
and what they need to get their jobs done, and you will do anything to make sure that they have that. And for that, I, as a patient, I thank you as well, because I know that I will one day soon, for one reason or another, end up here at Eisenhower. And I know that at my bedside will be a loving nurse that's been supported by you, and for that, I thank you. Well, thank you, Lee, and please don't, please don't come find us too soon. <laughs> Your lips, God's ears. Thank you very much. And, uh, Let's uh, get ready. Let's do another keynote uh, to many of your nurses online and in person here in this beautiful uh, Annenberg uh, Exhibition Center. And let's have some fun and knock them alive. I'm looking forward to it. My pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.